0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. We're in a teaching series called People of Hope, a study in 1 Thessalonians. In this series, we will see that even in trials, the way of Jesus offers us encouragement and hope. Thanks for joining us today. How many of you ever seen this movie I have up on the screen here? I know it's rated TV MA, so not all of you can watch. (laughs) That was a reference to last week. If you didn't get it, that means you weren't here last week. Uh, But really, this is a kind of a brilliant movie, honestly, where it talks about what happens inside of a person, specifically our emotions, and how that plays itself out outside in our lives. And in fact, that's a great metaphor for where we're headed today. We're gonna talk about how we relate inside has an impact on how we relate outside in this world. So if you're following on your notes, wanna start right away by saying God cares about how we relate both inside and outside the church. That's what we're talking about today. Now, as a reminder, as we continue our series in 1 Thessalonians, a series we have called A People of Hope, we learned last week that Paul has kind of shifted into a new direction in the second half of this letter. This is something he often does in his letters. The first half of his letters often talk about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who we are in Christ, our new identity. And then he talks about how we live our lives in a way that can then please him. I use the example of the gift of the new kidney. I was given, right? This was an amazing gift, and I want to use that. I want to be grateful for that and take care of that. And in the same way, the new life that we've been given in Christ is something we want to please God with. So Paul, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, says these words, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, see, there's the shift. We instructed you how to live in order to please God. Another way to say that is how to walk in, in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. As God's people, we're called to please God. And the way we're told last week we do that, we're literally told God's will for us as his people is that we be sanctified. And we talked about that word sanctify. It's a nice churchy word, but all it means is over time, we're becoming more and more holy. We're set apart for Jesus. We wanna become more like Jesus. And last week, Paul talked about one area of our sanctification, which is that we avoid sexual immorality. Not because God wants to bog us down with rules and regulations, because he really wants us to know this is the most fulfilling way to live. Now, the problem is whenever we talk about sanctification, usually we think of things we're supposed to not do. But I got good news for you. God also wants us to be sanctified and excel in things he wants us to do, good things he wants us to do. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Two more areas of our sanctification, two more areas of God's will for our lives, how we relate both to one another inside the church and how we relate to those outside the church. So let me invite you, if you haven't already, take your Bible, turn it to First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9. We're only looking at four verses together today. If you didn't bring a Bible, you don't want to use your device, we have Bibles always in the seat underneath you there. Please pick that up if you'd like and follow along on page 957 of those black Bibles. Please know as well, you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home with you today. We'd love every person to have a copy of God's Word in their hands. So let's look first at how we're to relate to one another inside the church. Would you look at verses 9 and 10 with me there? It says, Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God how to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. In these verses, if you're following along, along with avoiding sexual immorality, God's will for the church is that we love one another. This also is a part of the sanctification process God is calling us to do. It's his will for us to learn how to love one another inside the church, just like Jesus loved us. Now, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time defining this word love. We've talked a lot about this, but remember, when the Bible's talking about love, it's not talking about having some emotion. It's talking about being willing to die to yourself for the sake of of another. That is the love that Jesus demonstrated for us. That is the love we're called to demonstrate for one another. It's so important, in fact, when Jesus was talking about this, he said, This right here is the main way that people will know that you are my disciples. In John 13, 35, he would say this by this, by loving one another, you will know, they will know you are my disciples. He didn't say the world will know us by our correct doctrine, not that that's not important. He said, he didn't say the world will know us based on the power of our words. He said, we will be known by the way we love one another. Now, the cool thing is this church in Thessalonica is doing a great job at this. For the second week in a row, right? Paul says, you're doing this, way to go. Keep doing this more and more. We saw they cared for each other. They provided for each other's needs. They put each other's first and the outside world was taking note. In fact, we know this as a fact from church history. I talked about this last week. The two ways that the church stood out in the ancient culture was through avoiding sexual immorality, their purity but then also through their love for one another that showed itself forth in just extreme generosity. You open for a little church history right now? You okay with that? I'm gonna quote a couple church fathers right now. The first one is named Tertullian. And he said that the Romans would often say about the Christians, see how they love one another. Like that wasn't something that was going on back in those days and in that culture. Another church father by the name of Justin Martyr explained Christian love this way. I have this on the screen for you. We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have in common into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. The world notice this kind of love. Unfortunately, in spite of this emphasis on love in the scriptures, I'm just not sure that the church with a capital C is being noticed for this right now. I think we're probably more likely being noticed for our divisions, our fights, our disagreements, our anger, our political stances, our specific doctrines, but not for our love. We need to get back to the heart of learning to love Jesus Love one another and love our neighbors as ourselves because love is at the heart of the Christian mission and it's at the heart of how the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus. If you're following on your notes, our love for one another reflects the love of Christ. It's that important. I'm looking at you, outsiders are looking at us saying, huh, are they loving like their Jesus loved? I'm not sure I see that right now. I don't know if you're doing the Bible studies that go along with this series. I hope you are. But one of the things I had you do this week is look up all the passages in the New Testament that command us, it's not just a suggestion, command us to love one another. Here's a a couple of examples of the ones you looked up. Here's uh, Romans 13, eight. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Wow, that's pretty big deal there. How about this one in 1 John four twelve? No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Again, these are profound statements when you really take a look at that. As we learn to love one another, God's love becomes complete in us. The one though that really drew my attention this week as I was looking through it is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. I actually have this on the notes there. Would you mind reading it with me out loud? It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you see this? If you're on your notes, one of the ways we love one another is by gathering together. I would say this is majorly in our face today in the church of the United States. And I'm going to take a little time to address it, not just because I'm a pastor and I want people to come to church. Because literally, this is a serious thing that we need to talk about in our increasingly individualized society. I care deeply about the people of God, and gathering together is one of the most important things that we can do to love one another and to show the world around us how we love. I also want to talk about this because I'm a glutton for punishment, and I really like it when people get mad at me. But let me just say this as flat out as I can say, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. So here goes. What's happening today? What's happening in our culture right now? As you know, that by some measurements, since the pandemic, over one third of people who used to go to church has just stopped going. We don't know why. They're not going to another church. Another church have become even more committed to the local body than ever before. Praise God for that. And then there's this other third that's a bit of a mystery. Maybe they're at home watching online. Perhaps they're watching their own local church. More likely, they're watching Charles Stanley or someone along those lines. And so we're just wondering, okay, what's happening here? What's causing this? Well, listen to what one social researcher said about this. Fear of contracting COVID-19 might be the least of the reasons that convince many Christians to stay away from church. Debates over masks, vaccines, and much else. Divided church members trapped in their homes and glued to Facebook feeds filled with dire warnings and conspiracy theories. Christians liked each other a lot more before social media. Take away the unifying experience of weekly worship together under the same roof and the bonds of affection have frayed. I'd say this is pretty accurate. I know, speaking on behalf of the staff, this has been the most challenging 18 months of our life together here on staff. There's just so much division happening. Now, beyond that, research is also showing there are just many people today who have found watching online is just more comfortable, right? No need to wake up early Sunday morning. No need to put on pants. No need to search for a parking lot. No need to tune out other people's crying babies. No need to make small talk. No need to do that annoying fist bump thing we do every single Sunday. No need to sit through a long sermon where you have to yawn, I see you. Masks don't hide it, just trust me. (laughs) No need to remember the body and blood of Christ in the presence of others. I can do all this from the comfort of my own home, but friends, God does not invite us to church to be comfortable to find a little bit of spiritual encouragement, that is the consumeristic culture yelling at us right now. He invites us into a spiritual family family of misfits and outcasts so we can learn to love one another the same way that Jesus loved us. He welcomes us into this home together, and we rarely get what we want, but we often get exactly what we need. Church is where we can know and be known by others. It's where we practice loving one another in the flesh. So, listen, I'm going to just talk to that one third. We don't know where you are. If you're watching online right now, why is gathering together so important in the Bible? I'm going to give you three reasons. Ready? Number one, the church is the very body of Christ. That's what the Bible says. There's other metaphors the Bible uses to describe the church, like the bride of Christ. But let's just focus on this idea here that we're literally the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul writes, now you are the body of Christ. And here's the big part. Each of you is a part of it. Your local church body, whether it's Cherry Hills or not, I don't care, be engaged in a local church body because it is the body of Christ. I love how one someone once said, that goes for the banker who chairs your elder board and the recovering alcoholic who can't control his body odor. That goes for the homecoming queen who greets you with a smile at the door and the nursery worker who has never been on a date. If you have repented of sin and believe the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, you belong to Christ and you belong to one another. Paul says it even more powerfully in Romans 12, 4 through 5. For just as each of us have become body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. That is a powerful statement that says we don't just attend church. We belong to one another as the church. That holds true even in a pandemic, even in political turmoil. In practice, you already know this or you'll find out one day the church is full of a bunch of messed up people who have different opinions than you do and than I do. We sin against one another we sin against God, and yet we're told the Spirit is at work sanctifying us. All these misfits and sinners gathered together are being sanctified to the point that one day we will be made blameless, spotless, without fault, and without fail. Literally, the word church from Greek and it means ecclesia, ecclesia. It just means gathering. It means gathering. And Christ gave his body for this thing we call church. Church is where Christ's presence is present in a very unique way that doesn't happen on a TV screen. I would even dare to say that the church is where heaven touches down on earth, where his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Number two, second reason gathering together with others is important is the church is where we are formed more into Jesus. Listen. Maybe the most important thing I say today, whether you know it or not, you are constantly being formed by something. We're all being formed by something every day, for better or for worse. If you're spending time in Scripture, in prayer at the church, you're going to be formed in one particular direction. If you're spending time on TikTok, Twitter, Fox News, CNN, whether you realize it or not, you're being formed in a particular direction. This is why Paul reminds us in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the ways of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'll tell a little truth on myself for you all. I just had to quit social media for a while. You want to know why? Because I was being conformed. Every time I would open it up, I'd feel like, oh gosh, the world's ending. Or I'd get really angry. I'll let you in on another little secret. Did you know that's exactly how they designed those platforms? There's algorithms that they use to say, ooh, they got angry about this. Oh, they're responding to this. And so you're gonna keep getting more and more of those kinds of articles, those kinds of feeds on your computer. It's all designed to get us mad because they know if we're mad, we'll come back to it again and again and again. Talking about social media, uh, a cultural commentator by the name of Trevin Wax, he's worth reading, writes, the more time we spend in bias-conforming online bubbles, on curated feeds full of voices that radicalize us in various directions, the more our desires are shaped by what our online tribe loves more than what God loves. Highly online Christians naturally start to grow less interested in things such as scripture and church that don't perfectly fit the narratives they ingest online. But in shunning the very things that can recenter them on solid ground, we become more entrenched. I feel this pull. I feel it. Now, what I experienced by spending less time online, though, is the world isn't falling apart. God's still God. Jesus is still king. And he's still in control. Can you be transformed on your own at home to some degree? But the church is the unique place God has created for us Imperfect people to gather together with different opinions. So we're sharpening one another and learning this really hard thing called love. Third, the church is the only thing that will last forever. Right now, just take a second, look around. Look around at all the people around you. I'm looking at you, people of every color, background, generation, opinions. We're gonna be with each other forever. Doing the thing that we're doing today, worshiping God, who sits on the throne. Gathering with you brings me out of the the fog that we live in in this culture and helps me see once again the reality of who we are. We're the church, the church that Jesus said. The gates of hell will never prevail against. So listen to me, dear friends, if you're watching online especially, will the church disappoint you? You can answer that. Yes, it will. Will we as leaders ever get everything right? Yes, we, oh, I mean, no, we won't. <laughs> the side of heaven, the church will always be blemished and yet Christ is sanctifying her. And there will come a day when every culture, every institution, every nation for that matter will be extinct and the church will remain. Jesus will come to bring his bride to glory. This is why the author of Hebrews reminded us, don't give up meeting together. All the more as the day approaches, what day? The day that 1 Thessalonians, Paul's talking about all the time, the day when Jesus returns and he makes all things new. So I know some people are not coming to church right now for legitimate concerns. We respect that. Here's some good news for you. Do you know that the numbers of COVID right now are down the lowest they've been since early summer? Here's another good thing. I'm looking out in the audience right now I'd say about 50% of you are wearing masks, another 50% of you aren't. There's even people who are married who are the opposite. Do you still love one another? We can't be the church God designed us to be without you. We need you here. We need you here so that we can be mutually encouraged in this difficult time, as Hebrews says. We need you here so we can learn how to love one another. Yes, even learn to love difficult people. We need you here most importantly, so that those on the outside can see a bunch of messed up people who have different opinions about everything at this point can still learn to love one another because they are not seeing that anywhere else in our world today. And that's exactly where Paul moves into the next part of this text. Could we read verses 11 and 12 out loud? On our notes there, it says... Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. If you're following as the church, along with avoiding sexual immorality, along with learning to love one another, God's will is for us to influence the outside world. And in these verses, Paul gives us three ways we can do that. Number one, Facebook. Oops, don't see that there. Number one, lead a quiet life. Tells his readers that you should make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That's kind of a strange command, isn't it? Strive with all your might to be quiet. Introverts in the house, can I get an amen? (laughs) Of course, this doesn't just mean avoiding speaking. Paul's talking about a quality of life. He's talking about a humble life, a respectful life to others. If you're falling on your notes, it's a life where we seek to avoid causing controversy. Most scholars believe that what's happening in the church in Thessalonica is that people are believing that Jesus is returning any minute now. And so what they've done is they've stopped working, They've quit their jobs. They've become idle. In fact, they almost saw this as some sort of a spiritual sign of faith, right? Oh, we don't need to work anymore. Jesus is coming soon. And they're making a big ruckus about all of this. And Paul reminds them, listen, what do you think outsiders are gonna think if this is what you're doing? You're causing this big debate and this big ruckus everywhere. Paul warns them against the sort of boisterous, controversial lifestyle and says, just go about living your normal life in a humble, quiet, respectful way. Support your family. Work hard for your employer. Be a good neighbor. Help the community. Stay level-headed. Paul says, live in a way where you're not a burden to those inside or outside the church. And don't draw unneeded attention to yourself by getting mixed up in things that can cause controversy. It's amazing how relevant the Bible is today, isn't it? I will leave it there. Second, related to this exhortation to live a calm, quiet, humble, responsible life, Paul urges us to mind our own business. Now this isn't used like we use it today, right? I mean, if I were to say to you, mind your own business, you're not gonna take that as, okay, thanks. But this is connected to the first thing here of living a quiet life, right? See, the thing was, these people didn't just stop working and then sit at home all day waiting for Jesus. They were out and about. They were out and about gossiping. Uh, They were out and about causing controversy as we already saw. They're out and about, literally what Paul calls them later in 2 Thessalonians is a bunch of busybodies. Worrying about things that weren't their concern. Meddling in the affairs of others. Have you ever met someone like this? Right, you're trying to do your work and they just hang around you kind of meddling in everybody's affairs, gossiping, talking about others, you name it, right? I know somebody like this. They don't go to our church. uh, And I'm just like, mind your own business. You don't need to be talking about them. You don't need to be talking about them. You don't need to be raising all this controversy all the time. It's not an attractive lifestyle. Paul says, be concerned about your own life, not about others. And live in a way, as we've just seen, and that pleases God. If you're following, this means don't meddle in the affairs of others. It's one of the fastest ways people will lose interest in Jesus. And then third, again, this is all connected. Paul instructs the Thessalonians to work with your hands. This is just a way of saying, your work matters to God. Spiritual life and work life are not separated in the kingdom of God. That's what these people were basically saying, right? Work is less important. I'm gonna stop working and do all these spiritual things. Talk to people about Jesus' return and how they need to be made right and all of this kind of thing. And Paul says, no, no, no. You wanna be respectful to outsiders. You wanna lead a quiet life, a humble life, a life where people go, huh, that's interesting. Then work hard. Wherever you find yourself, stay at home mom, student in school, janitor, pastor, work hard so that people can take notice and say, wow, they really care about this. Now, some of the attitude they might've had probably came from their culture. I don't know if you studied Greek culture, but back then they thought that manual labor was only fit for slaves. And yet here comes Jesus, a carpenter. Here comes Paul, a a tent maker, bringing Back value to normal, everyday work. The idleness in the Thessalonian church, if you're doing the Bible study, you're seeing this again and again. It's a huge theme. It's a huge problem here. So many people just stopping working and providing for their family. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 12, Paul writes, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. There it is again. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ, settle down and earn the food they eat. When we refuse to earn our wages while we're perfectly capable of doing so, the eyes of the world will roll and we will be dismissed. I have to say, sometimes I've heard Christians are the worst employees from employers. Uh, We should be the best. We should be the best. Because if you're on your notes, a lazy lifestyle Discredits the gospel. I will tell the truth on myself. My first job in high school, I worked at a deli and I thought I deserved to get paid more. And so I said, Well, I'm just going to not work as hard. And I am ashamed of that because these people didn't know Jesus, the people who own this deli. They knew I knew Jesus. And so I can't even imagine what they saw when they looked at me and said, well, here's this lazy Christian. I don't think that reflected well on Jesus. I had to write them a note. I actually sent them money back uh, years later. For Paul, we can accomplish more for the gospel by being dependable and hardworking and honest in our workplaces, sometimes than even words. I'll do a little Christian gossip. I won't name any names, but I get people coming to me often telling me, man, We love having so-and-so in our work environment. They're working so hard. They're setting such a good example. And I just like, yes, they're noticing. They're noticing your attitude. They're noticing your work ethic. They're noticing something's different about this person who's not getting caught up in gossip and backbiting and being a busybody. They're going about their business and it's making the influence Paul said that it would. Friends, while these are not typical evangelistic tools we talk about when it comes to sharing the gospel, if you're following on your notes, Paul points out that this way of life can have a positive influence on outsiders. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, amen? And that's what he's saying here. Paul would say the same thing to women who were married to unbelieving husbands, right? Hey, sometimes they may be influenced more by the way you are. He actually says, have a gentle and quiet spirit. That may influence them in ways you can't even imagine. And the point in both of these cases is that the biblical notion for Christians to influence non-Christians is by our humble, quiet life. In our culture, sometimes Christians stir up problems for themselves and others because they don't know when to back away from an issue or they engage with others in the opposite of what Paul's talking about here. What's the opposite of a quiet, humble life? A boisterous, loud, wanting to get into arguments all the time kind of life. Paul takes it another step further, though. What's one more way we can be different and influence the world? At the end of this whole section, he says, so that you don't have to be dependent on anybody. In fact, the opposite is what should be taking place. We're not dependent on people. We are loving people in the sacrificial way that Jesus loved us. So if you're following, we can have a positive influence by being sacrificially generous, just like Jesus was generous to us learning to love one another in the church and outside the church. If we do this, the world will take notice. I can guarantee you that in Thessalonica, people would have noticed the change of the lives of these Christians. They're not going to the pagan temples anymore. They're avoiding sexual immorality, which was everywhere. They, didn't, they don't cheat their employees or strangers. They work hard. They take care of each other. They love one another. They were generous. The world noticed. We know this as a fact from church history. And we have the same opportunity today. We can be people who influence the world by the way we learn to love one another inside and the way we live outside. As we close, I just wanna say a little over a decade after Paul wrote these words about how to influence outsiders, he would pen these words in Colossians 4, 5, and 6 along a similar vein. Would you read this out loud with me there up on the screen? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. These are awesome words that follow along with what Paul has written in this text for us today. And I observe two principles I just wanna close with this morning. Number one, remember that unbelievers are watching, so act with wisdom and love. Let me just take work as an example, since that's what Paul was talking about. This means punctuality, honesty, taking on assignments with a cheerful heart that nobody else wants to do. This means treating people at every level in your business with respect, the same respect you would treat the CEO This means living a quiet, humble, and respectful life, not engaging in backbiting, not engaging in gossip. Number two, remember that unbelievers are listening, so we speak with words of grace. Our interactions, especially with outsiders, but even inside the church here, should never be harsh or demanding or demeaning. Holier-than-thou attitudes, Turn off a conversation like a light switch. So be aware of the words we use. Season them with salt. Don't you love that picture that Paul gives? Season your words with salt. And I just want to say, even more important than the words you're saying, it's how we're saying them, especially today right now. I mean, I get in this conversation, I just was doing an email with a guy in our church, like, well, how do we still stand up for the truth in some of these issues that are happening in our country? And I just wanna say, stand up for it, talk about it, but it's all in how you do it. Season your words with salt. Speak the truth, but do it in love and do it in grace. Friends, I don't know about you, but I can't help but marvel at the beauty of God's plan here. He designed it, so that we would gather together in community and in perfect community. And within that, we are to learn to love one another. And as we grow in that, he promises that we will influence the world around us. We need this more than ever today. Ever. Our world is looking at the church and they're saying, I don't see that. But I really believe right here, right now, Cherry Hills Church, strategically placed. In Springfield, Illinois, for this time in history, we can be agents of change. We can learn to love one another in a way the world just isn't seeing and be a light in this community. So let me ask you: will I commit to living from the inside out? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I love your plan. I love how wise you are. You're reminding us today, you didn't just die for individuals, you died for the church. This imperfect group of people who gathers together locally all across this world. And it's here you shape us and you form us. Here's what I found. You transform us more into the likeness of Jesus. We repent today if we need to that we're not loving one another the way that you've asked us to do, you commanded us to do. And it's having an effect on the watching world. So today we put a mark in the sand, we put our foot in the sand and say, starting today, I'm gonna commit. I'm committing to loving one another, loving my brothers and sisters in the church, even those I disagree with fundamentally. And I commit to living a quiet, humble, respectful life so that the watching world can see and know that we follow you. We pray this together as the church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.